Welcome to Idaho Speaks, the place to learn about candidates and issues important to Idaho. My name is Ed, and I created this channel to overcome the media bias that plagues our communities and our state. When presented all the information, I believe you, the voter, will make the best decision for our future. At Idaho Speaks, we will give you the side of the story being hidden by mainstream media and big tech giants. My name is David Worley, and I'm the Southeast Idaho interviewer for the Idaho Speaks team. Our goal is to give you, the voter, as much access as possible to the field of state and local candidates around Idaho. Ed and I both do interviews, so if you as a candidate find yourself in a situation where you need to speak directly to the voters and are having trouble getting through the mainstream media, please reach out and we will do our best to get you on the program. We want to give Republican and conservative candidates a platform to communicate their ideas in a long-form format so that you, the voter, has the best information available to make your choice on election day. Idaho Speaks, your issues, your candidates, your state. Welcome to Idaho Speaks. It is election time. As you may remember, this is my favorite time of year. I get to talk with folks about, uh, well, their vision for our community, our, our state, our nation. Some might conclude that I like this time just because I want to rub elbows with current and future leaders. But actually, I like this because I'm forced to do what I should have been doing my entire voting life, meeting and talking with candidates running for office. My vision for Idaho Speaks is twofold. First, get around to censorship of big tech and mainstream media. You've, you've heard me talk about this mission at length. But a less known but just as important mission is to give you, the very busy voters, a chance to get an inside view to the way candidates for office think. I don't hold judgmental inquisitions, but rather friendly conversations. I, I do my research, I write my questions ahead of time, and, and then make a human-to-human -human connection with hopes that my friendly conversation will empower you to make the best voting decision you can make. Over the last several weeks, I've been greatly humbled by the folks who have made a small contribution on IdahoSpeaks.com. Running a program like this has real costs, and many, many of you have reached out to the show your appreciation. Thank you. For those of you who would like to know more about how listener-supported conservative talk radio works, please visit idahospeaks.com forward slash support, and you can learn about how to help offset some of the costs of running this program. Today we're going to focus on more Idaho State Senate stuff. While today's candidate may not appear on your ballot, Hearing what Ben has to say about leading our state is just as important because you may hear something that prompts you to ask the candidates who are running for election on your ballot. Considering what is happening in the world, our nation, the state, and community, it is critical that each of us start asking more of those seeking our vote for public service these important questions. With me today is Ben Taves, running for Idaho State Senate District 4. Ben, thank you for taking time to meet with Idaho Speaks today. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be here. So before we dive into the politics part, let's give the listeners just uh, some information about you, the person. Who is Ben Taves? 
Well, um, yeah, I, I was uh, born and raised here in Idaho, uh, born in St. Mary's, and I grew up in the Silver Valley. I uh, have a lot of wonderful memories of hiking through the hills of the Silver Valley, exploring uh, dangerous mines, uh, mine shafts and different things like that. Did you used to go in them? Yeah, I, I know, went in them. If I grew up in an area with mine shafts, yeah, I totally would have been in them. Yeah, my, my, I tell my kids stories about it all the time. I'm like telling them stories about being lowered down into the mine shaft by a rope because my I was the smallest one of my friends. <laughs> so they, they decided that I was the one to lower down and check, see what was down there. Wow. Ever find anything cool? Um, no, not really. We, we, uh, just explored, had a lot of fun. Yeah. Got dirty. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of, but that's being a kid. That's right. Especially a boy growing up in North Idaho. That's right. Exactly. So what else? Well, so, uh, I went to, uh, I, I moved over to Coeur d'Alene area and when I was in the fifth grade and, uh, went to school, you know, Lake, uh, Lake city, uh, junior Academy at the time, which is a private school. I went there a couple of years. Then I went to, uh, court, or to uh, Lakes Middle School. And uh, I was actually the second graduating class of Lake City High School. So I went two years at Coeur d'Alene High School and two years at Lake City High School. So you got them both. Yes, I did. Yep. Right yep. on. Yeah. And I enjoyed my time there for sure. Very involved. Uh, after, after that, I went to North Idaho College and... Uh, I, I uh, majored in, got my A degree in political science, and that was my focus at that time. I was really excited, uh, really passionate about uh, what really bothered me, I guess, is apathy and seeing how few people voted. Uh, I think at the time I figured around 10% of the voting population put our then president into office. And so mm -hmm. that really bugged me. And I was like, why aren't people involved? And, and that made me wanted to be involved. Now, which president was that? You know what? It was in 90... 98 that would have been clinton Clinton. that's yeah. exactly what i thought right right wow yep. um so okay you have five children right now right yeah i do yeah. yeah what what is something this is kind of a left ball left field kind of question here what is something you will want to pass down to your children from your time in office something something that you feel they need to know to better perform their civic duties when they are old enough to vote yeah and uh I already, I already uh, teach them this, but I believe that by running for office and, and being in office, I'd like to live it out. And the concept is that there's a price that's paid for everything, everything in our life. Nothing for free. There's nothing for free. There's a, there's a price that's been paid. We often benefit from the price that was paid from those who came before us. And so I, I think of uh, campaigning, uh, running for office, serving in office as a way of honoring the people who came before me and already paid a price. I also believe that running for office shouldn't be a, a way of having personal gain. It should be a way of serving the community. Um, I, I believe actually your net worth should probably go down while you're in office yeah, and yeah. Um, ultimately it'd probably make you not want to hang out there as long. Well, and, you know, and I don't, I don't want to dive into a topic if you don't want to talk about it, but you certainly don't need this job. Right. No, no. You, you have a very successful family business. Yeah. Well, actually, so we sold our family business mm -hmm. and uh, I, I have another business that I, that I'm starting up. Um, I'll be uh, uh, working on that this summer. Should be launching this fall. So uh, yeah, I, you're right. This isn't, this is definitely uh, more of a passion for me than it is uh, any kind of a career. Marvelous. Marvelous. So, well, let's, let's dive into it. 
Why are you running for the state Senate? Well, uh, over the last couple of years, especially, um, I had a realization that I guess Idaho wasn't really the bastion of conservatism that I thought it was at one time. Uh, I couldn't believe the way that things went even in 2020. Um, and, and so as I, as I watched that happen, I guess I, I was like, you know, I've got to do something. Uh, my wife and I went into 2020, uh, we had just sold our business. So uh, we were like, all right, 2020, it's a year of vision. We're going to see what's next for us in the future. We were excited about it. And uh, very quickly, we realized that uh, the 2020 vision we were getting was really a vision of clarity of the way things were. So uh, it, it's, it, it's like when things, when you have 2020 vision, you're able to see exactly the way things are and uh, you start to realize things aren't as good as you thought they were. And I think that has driven me to want to be involved now versus another time. And so I think that it's time, it's a time that, that we have to have leaders that are willing to step up and uh, take the lead. And, and my, my uh, campaign slogan is to raise the standard. And the standard is it's not just raising the level of competency or the level of uh, dedication or the, the level of the values. It's um, the idea of a standard is to raise the, the standard is a flag. And uh, really the flag being raised is like a rallying cry. It's like saying we've, we've got to have leaders that step up, that rally together to make a difference. And I feel like there's been some some weaknesses in our leadership. Certainly not all. I have friends uh, in the in the Senate. Uh, I have friends that are representatives, and I don't I don't have uh, I don't I don't think it's across the board. But I do think there is some some lacking certainly in the leadership. That's fantastic. But let me let me ask a follow up question. This is I, actually I learned this in uh, business school when when preparing either business plan, executive summary, or for that matter, just going into business. Um, think about the end in mind. I've always the end in mind. And what, what my teacher taught us then is a, um, I want you to write your obituary is what he had us do. It was an exercise. And I want it to be, there were four of them. I think your best friend, your worst enemy, uh, somebody else and somebody else. I forget. But I, I, I don't want to take it to the morbid that you're, dying but you've just finished a successful career in office you've you've done your time however long that was and you're getting your good congratulatory farewell the ceremony that says ben thank you so much for what you did tell me some of the things that the people from the podium said about you i'd say that they'd say that i had great integrity that what I said I would do, I did. Not that I could accomplish everything that I had wanted to accomplish because that's not ever possible uh, because there's other people voting uh, in, in the, on the bills. But uh, that I, had, that I uh, held my ground, that I followed my, the values that I espoused while I was running for office and that I had the integrity to, to follow through with my promises as much as I possibly could. Uh, and ultimately that I left the state a better, uh, in a better place than, than I had, uh, when I, than it was when I arrived. 
That'd truly be nice if we could say that about every politician. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be. So, uh, okay, what does public service in an elected position mean to you? What, what do you view as your roles and responsibilities should you be elected to office? Well, certainly to represent the, the constituents from my district, I, I have to go down there and I have to walk out what I campaigned for, what I said were my guiding principles, and I have to walk that out in the way that I vote, in the bills that I present. I have to walk that out every day in the debates uh, in, the, in, in the Senate. I think that it means that uh, I think ultimately I want to make sure that my constituents are well-served by me being there, by them trusting me to be there. And that's really what public service is. It's being entrusted to, to represent others. And so I, I'm, I'm running on the Republican platform. So my values and the way that I vote should match that platform really well. Sure. Sure. A good answer. Good answer. Now on your website, under the issues section, you champion quote, a higher standard of freedom by fighting against federal overreach end quote. Currently, the federal government controls over 62% of Idaho lands. As an elected state senator, what could or would you do to decrease that overreach? I'd love to see us take control of those lands ourselves. It doesn't make sense for the federal government to control that much land. And I, however I could do that, I mean, whether it's uh, the state taking those lands and saying these are, these are actually they're going to be ours and, and we're going to handle it or them being privatized and citizens being able to use the resources of their own state. I think that just makes sense. So whatever I could do to either uh, bring them in under the state's uh, control or under a private citizen's control. Now, some states have taken the position to um, nullify federal laws. I'll use um, legalized marijuana and sanctuary immigration policies as just two examples. As senator, what federal laws would you be willing to nullify and why? I'd love to nullify a lot of what the Biden administration has done as far as vaccine mandates. I believe that's a battle right now that that we're up against you don't have to be against vaccines to be against mandates and so i i would love to see us uh actually take the lead instead of being so reactive i'd love to see us be proactive and i look at states like florida where they actually had a special session in november and they passed four different bills through their house and their senate and it was signed into law by the governor to protect workers to protect workers uh, from getting fired for not being vaccinated, to protect them from uh, people, the privacy issue. I mean, just they don't even they shouldn't have to share that information. Uh, I would never, as a as a business owner, I was never asking anybody about their medical decisions. It seems way out of the the sphere that that a business should be going. Let Let's talk a little bit about the pandemic, though, because I I want to play devil's advocate just a little bit because I think. I was scared, Mm -hmm. you know, going back to 2019, December. I mean, I read incessantly. It's my job. My job as a talk show host is to read. 
read hundreds and hundreds of pages a, a day, a week. Um, I saw this coming. Everybody saw this coming. Clear back late 2019, 2020, I start stocking up. I've got raw goods. I could survive six, eight, ten months without the federal government, without any government assistance. I didn't need prompting to do that. I just did it because, mm-hmm. well, I, I come from California, and in California we were used to earthquakes just shutting things down, and we are on your own. Once, once your city is destroyed, there's, there is no infrastructure to support you. And mm-hmm. So playing devil's advocate here, a pandemic really did happen. Right, yes. Right? The, the coronavirus really was a pandemic. Maybe not as deadly as what we thought it was going to be initially. But as a state senator, um, if not mandates, what would you do? What would you throw at a pandemic like this to protect the public? I'll go back to Florida as a great example. I loved the proactive approach of uh, setting up uh, clinics with monoclonal antibodies and being able to have a, a something a way to uh, proactively protect people from hospitalization. I think that kind of an idea is a lot better. And it, it, furthermore, I'd go. I'd look at the Great Barrington Declaration. I think that there's a model there that was largely ignored and uh, and that that idea was to to take and take anybody who had had the virus like let's say some nurses had had the virus and take them and pay them extra to go into nursing homes or places where people are very vulnerable and uh, get them in there where where they can take care of the people instead of isolating everyone instead of shutting everything down I think the idea of focused protection would have been a lot better. I love well thought out solutions. I like uh, instead of just like blanket, like shut everything down, which is what happened. I like the idea of focused protection. As soon as you, as soon as we knew who the virus was most affecting, we should have focused on protecting those people the most, whether it's delivering food to their houses, making sure they don't have to go to the grocery stores. Why make everybody in a grocery store be vaccinated or wear masks or different things like that when you could very likely figure out a way to get the people who are most vulnerable taken care of uh, and and let society continue as much as possible. Boy, that's a real sense of community. I like that a lot. Okay, going back to your website, you cite education as an important issue. And for those of you who have listened to Idaho Speaks, you know I am all about education, fighting tooth and nail. You go so far as to push for online school choice as an important factor to educational improvement. Let's talk a little bit about school choice and what that means to you and why that is important. And then I'd like to talk about education accountability. That sound good? Yes, sounds great. Okay, so let's start first with school choice. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to go back a little bit and just tell you my my educational background. My my mother uh, is an elementary school teacher, and so is my grandma. And uh, I I was never homeschooled in the traditional sense, but at one point, my mother taught me in uh, in a school that I think had three other pupils. So I, it was my sister and I, and and maybe three. Well, you you three really others. go back to the old school, the <laughs> yeah. one room schoolhouse. That's right. That's what it was, and. 
And so I'd say that's, that's pretty close to homeschool that I had there. My grandma taught me in a really small private school that was similar in my, in first grade. So uh, then I had, then I was in private schools for many years. Then I was in public school in the eighth grade. I went through a public high school, public college, and then I went to a private college at Gonzaga. So I think I've had a lot of variety of experience as far as school and education goes. And uh, as far as, and school choice, I think school choice is, is critical because what I see is that the public education system has a sort of a monopoly on free education. And when we say free education, I mean tax-funded education. My thought is that like most areas of society, competition is very healthy in the education system. So I'd like to see more competition. Uh, my experience is that competition drives the quality up and the cost down. And I think we could really uh, use that in Idaho. We're ranked pretty low as far as all of the states in education. Okay, but I'm, I want to make sure and understand this. I mean, people already have a choice on where they send their children. What does school choice, based on what Senator Taves wants to push, what does that look like? I'd like to see a situation where money follows students and uh, I like the idea of there being uh, different types of school savings account or education savings accounts that people could use as they see fit. The danger of that, and, and I recognize this danger, and I think that it's important to take this into consideration, is we don't want the federal government in our homeschooling or in our private schools. So uh, we have to figure out a way to somehow separate those dollars uh, from the state dollars but uh, once we once we can separate those or we can protect and make sure that there's not uh, federal uh, control in our private schools, I think that that uh, an education savings account could be a really good solution. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I think next time you come on, I think I'd like to kind of focus on education savings accounts. So yeah. I'll, I'll make note of that for our next interview. So I'd like to talk about education accountability and on this show for the last year, I've really been honed in on proficiency scores. Only half of our students are passing as proficient in math or reading. And, and really, this changed dramatically in 2014. Now, you know, I've interviewed a lot of folks. I get completely different answers. So my, my interview for you, my question for you today isn't about what happened. Why did we go from 90% to 50%? That's not the question for today. But other than school choice, what would or could you do as a state senator to improve math and reading proficiency? Yeah, I, I hate that you said other than school choice. I know, because I know. I, <laughs> you're, you're putting me in a corner because I, I do think that to a large extent, you attract the best teachers and you can pay them the most, the more options you give the teachers and the students. And so I'm kind of cheating, but I do believe that that's a, a major part of how that would work. I'm not going to go into the, you know, the area that we can talk about in the future, but I think that if parents are able to choose where their, where their students are going to school uh, and, and they know exactly what their students need. Nobody knows better what a student needs than their parents. And they should be able to change how, how they're 
children are educated. They should be able to, to, to choose different options based on the strengths of their students, based on the weaknesses of their students, based on the passion of their students, where their students will go in the future. And uh, I think I think it's a, it's critical that, that parents have a lot of options. And I think that if the parents have options, that creates accountability for the education system. Yeah, interesting. Um, when elected, what are the first two things you want to accomplish? Well, right now, I think we're still in a state of emergency uh, based on what Governor Little has done. I'd love to see uh, the reality uh, that we're not we're not in a state of emergency. And I think it's very odd that that we'd still be. And I, I can't I can't fathom why we're still uh, considered in a state of emergency. I'd like to see what I see as some of the things that are attacking our, our children's future uh, reined in. Uh, I have real concern about the, I'd say, sexualization of our youngest, the youngest people in our society, um, grade school, middle school, high school. There's somehow, uh, it seems like a, an agenda to make us sexual orientation and um and those things issues within our education system i'd love to see that completely pulled out i I don't think there's any place for that in our education system and the same thing with critical race theory i know there's debates about whether it's uh, in our schools whether it's impacting our students i know that it is because uh we have a friend my wife and i have a friend who her son came home from school crying saying he he didn't want to be white anymore and she she said what are you talking about and he had a little um coloring page where that he'd been he'd been coloring that had uh, a, a african-american child outside of a playground and the white kids wouldn't let him in and so uh, i know that it's there I, it may not be a class called critical race theory no doubt but it's an insidious element that's creating division in our society so i have a vision for our state of people being united. I want to see people uh, in our schools. I want to see those things taken out. And I want to see people having uh, healthy discussions about issues and not, uh, not so much uh, trying to categorize each other as this or that, but trying to listen to each other and understand where each other are coming from. And I think that that is what will lead to us uh, having a, a brighter future really and and getting and figuring out ways to get through things like pandemics like having rational conversations and and the the ability to actually say hey can we consider this like the the uh, the idea of focused protection i mentioned earlier why couldn't we consider that why couldn't we uh, look for solutions uh, other than the extremes and why did everything have to be so divided and politicized Wow. Excellent. So how do folks learn more about you and your campaign? You can go to Ben for Idaho, the number four, benforidaho.com. And uh, that outlines more about me, more about the positions I hold. And uh, it also gives you an opportunity uh, to be a part of my campaign. Make a donation online and everything. Yes, that's there too. So before we wrap up, are there, are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the listeners of Idaho Speaks? Uh, just, just that, uh, I think it's an honor to have the, 
uh, ability to campaign and run for office and and to even think that people would put their trust in me and allow me to represent them uh, is, I'd say, very sobering and humbling. I've had a lot of people uh, getting on board and encouraging me, and, and that's a huge blessing to me. Uh, I feel extremely blessed, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. We've reached the end of the episode, but not the end of the issue. Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you have questions or would like to share your own issues and ideas, visit www.idahospeaks.com and click Share an Issue. Your state, your voice, Idaho Speaks.